You're listening to my mans and them, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Welcome on in to ESPN 1000. I am Jeff Meller along with Chris Black. We're in for Jonathan Hood this evening. Hoodie has the night off. And right now, we're going to have the opportunity to talk with one of my favorite NFL follows on Twitter, Andy Benoit of Sports Illustrated and the MMQB. This guy does a lot of film watching, and he always makes you smarter Mm. if you follow him on Twitter. So uh, check him out. He's uh, at Andy underscore Benoit. And uh, he has his most recent article. Really interesting. He had an opportunity uh, to sit down with Rams head coach Sean McVay. And part of the reason I think this is so interesting is because everybody always comps the Bears to the Rams. They want the Bears to be the next Rams just a year behind. And so, Andy, as we bring you in here, I I found it really interesting. You had an opportunity to kind of uh, pick Sean McVay's brains as you sat down and just talk to him about that uh, tough loss in Super Bowl 53. Oh, yeah, it was absolutely. I mean, anytime you get a chance to sit down with McVay, you're, it, it, the conversation goes in a lot of different directions, and you're always knowing which direction and why it's going. He is a natural teacher, and he is as brilliant a football mind as he appears from afar. So it's, it's absolutely a privilege to get to do that. I, I've been fortunate to do that a lot, watching offense with him, and then this last time, I uh, I watched a lot of Rams defense with him. He doesn't talk about their defense as much because he's not the one that calls those plays. But uh, he, he is absolutely as knowledgeable and informative on that side of the ball as he is on offense too. So it, it, it's a really wide encompassing football conversation. Andy, when you sat there with Sean McVay, how many times did he bring up the Brandon Cooks? Uh, over-the-shoulder catch that should have been a catch or rule the pass interference that wasn't where the Rams could have gotten the ball at the one-yard line ready to score? Uh, he brought it up one time, and I think it's you know it's a tough play, and he didn't say anything about pass interference. I think it's a play that he believes Cooks would make more often than not. Uh, but that was also, and this he emphasized quite a bit, that was really good defense by New England as well in that play. It's a very comprehensive piece, so I don't want to give too much away because I want our listeners to go ahead and check it out for themselves. Learn something. Check out Andy Benoit's piece with Sean McVay. But maybe just give us one little tidbit to tease the listener, something that you found very interesting that you didn't expect going into the uh, sit-down with Sean McVay. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I think... One thing I found interesting, and this wasn't focused on as much in the article, but some of the way they set their defenses based on the Patriots' personnel packages and then where certain players aligned in the formation. And it was guys you you probably wouldn't think of as who you're setting the formation around. And that's a little bit because of, well, I mean, obviously it comes from Patriots' tendencies, but then it also comes from if we set the formation around this player then we're going to get extra coverage on that player. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of domino effect in the way coverage, coverages are presented. So they wanted to go with a lot of zone and show man or man and show zone. But I, I think that got overblown a little bit. And the bigger thing was just the, the focus on execution and making Brady's reads a little bit blurry initially early in the down. And, and they were able to do that in several different ways. Here in Chicago, one thing that I've been focused on in this offseason is the Dallas Cowboys. And the reason being is they need to extend Dak Prescott. And it sounds like they're going to sooner than later. It's something here in Chicago that I'm watching because I feel like that's what the Bears are going to have to go through with Mitch Trubisky next offseason. Do you think the Cowboys get that done with Dak Prescott and get him an extension? 
Uh, my sense is they will. I think he's a difficult quarterback to value, though, because there is no question that offense unequivocally runs through Ezekiel Elliott. So then it raises the question, this is one I thought we'd get into more with the Russell Wilson discussion, but I guess Wilson smartly put a deadline on their contract negotiation. We never got a chance to really talking head that thing. But it's you know Seattle ran the ball more than any team in the NFL last year. So do you really want to pay your quarterback a, a, I mean, 30 plus million in cap space, which is what I'm hearing Dak Prescott would get when that means you're gonna, you're gonna lose some guys on defense. Seattle's already lost Frank Clark as an example. Dallas has a lot of other free agents they want to re-sign offense and defense. Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott are included in that. You're not going to be able to afford everybody, and, and you run an offense that really makes your quarterback a complimentary piece. Russell Wilson's a puzzle piece in Seattle's offense. Dak Prescott, the puzzle piece in Dallas is off. Now, they're great puzzle pieces at times, and they're very good in the fourth quarter when the chips are down and you need your quarterback to make a play. And there's something to be said for that, but that's, that's not every snap. You're not building your game plan around that. So I think those are difficult QBs to value because the offense does not run through them, and yet the nature of the NFL says you've got to pay them not just more than everybody, but a lot more than everybody. Talking with Andy Benoit here on ESPN 1000, Jeff Meller alongside Chris Black. Andy, uh, Chris actually had an opportunity to spend a little bit of time with Mitchell Trubisky over the weekend chatting with him. I'm curious because you're somebody who does a lot of film work. You actually watch throws that, the, you know, every throw that the quarterbacks make. What's your personal evaluation of Mitchell Trubisky and what you saw from him last year in his first year with Matt Nagy? Yeah, sure. And I, I got to watch film with him when he was coming out of, of North Carolina. I'd love to get to sit down with him. Now, I haven't, I haven't seen him since then. I'd, I'd love to see where he's at personally as a quarterback. I think watching him from afar, watching him just, I mean, not from afar, but on film every snap and kind of knowing what the Bears are doing and why on offense. I think you could say Trubisky's another puzzle piece quarterback at this point. You know, their passing game is pretty simplified and that coaches tell you how they feel about their players by the way they use them. And I think Matt Nagy, if you got him in an honest moment, would tell you, yeah, Trubisky is talented. There's things he does well. And he's still learning to read the field and see everything. And that's to be expected. Trubisky did not play a lot in college. He's a very callow quarterback. So uh, there's a lot of, uh, I don't want to call them smoke and mirrors because some of the misdirection stuff and, and these the things you see the Bears do with Tariq Cohen and those kind of guys, that's a big part of their offense. But to some degree, it is smoke and mirrors because once the ball is snapped and the pieces aren't always moving that way, you see they run pretty simple pass designs and they, they make the game user-friendly for Trubisky. And I would imagine over time, and we'll, we'll see this year, if he, it'll be interesting to see if they start expanding what they asked Trubisky to do. Yeah, Andy, and that's why we're so interested in it, because as Bears fans, we're trying to figure out who Mitch Trubisky really is. So of the three teams and three quarterbacks we've talked about so far in this interview, Jared Goff with the Rams, Dak Prescott with the Cowboys, and Mitch Trubisky with the Bears, who do you think has the brightest future? Which quarterback do you think at the end of the day will be the best of the three? I think it's Jared Goff because he's he's the by far the best arm talent. Well, not by far, but he's a better arm talent than Trubisky, and he's a much better arm talent than Prescott out of that group. Goff's probably solidly in the second tier of NFL arms, just rating how he throws the ball. And Goff is is by far the most natural pocket passer of those guys. Uh, Prescott's excellent in the pocket when the protection is clean, and he gets clean protection a lot in Dallas because their O line is so good. 
But Goff has the – he's more of a prototypical pocket passer, and I do think that's important in the NFL. So all three of those guys, in my opinion, are on the right trajectory. I think Goff has a steeper trajectory of a brighter upside if I had to pick. Interesting. Uh, Andy Bonoit of Sports Illustrated and the MMQB joining us here on ESPN 1000. Andy, from what you saw from Matt Nagy last year, uh, do you think that the pairing with Mitchell Trubisky – can be good enough for the Bears to win a Super Bowl, especially considering the talented defense they're working with on the other side of the ball. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, any team that that makes noise in the playoffs, which I think the Bears did. I'm sure they they're disappointed they didn't win their home playoff game. I mean, they were a legitimate playoff team, of course. You know, they, those, those that's a Super Bowl caliber team. So I, I, I think yeah, I do think it's a very good thing. One thing that concerns me though, guys, is I don't think Chicago's defense is going to quite be the same unit this year with Vic Fangio gone. And, and hearing other people around the NFL talk, other coaches, people that have to play against Fangio especially, Vic Fangio is regarded as the best defensive play caller and the hardest defensive coordinator to deal with in all of football. And when you remove him, you not just remove that element, but you remove a lot of the the wrinkles in the scheme that makes the Bears what they are. That's an overachieving secondary because of the way they're coached. I don't know Ed Donatel, but I'm guessing that's their secondary coach last year. He left with Fangio. I'm guessing that's going to be a big loss as well. So the Bears have some adjusting to do under Chuck Pagano, who's an excellent defensive coach. He's a different style of coach, though, than Fangio, and maybe it'll work out great. I mean, there's still a lot of talent there, but Vic Fangio got more out of the Bears. It wasn't just when Khalil Mack showed up, everybody got good. That Bears defense was one of the hardest defenses in the NFL to play against for a number of years, and it just came to a level of dominance when they tipped over with the Mac trade. So I understand where you're coming from, and I think that that's where a lot of people are skeptical because if you look at how good the defense was last year, a lot of that was due to turnovers, which you can't guarantee from one year to the next. Uh, Would you say the Bears are a team that you should watch for maybe slipping out of the playoffs then? Is that as far as you would go, saying that this defense, if they take a step back, if Trubisky doesn't improve, that this is one of those teams that made the playoffs that might step out? Um, I don't think that's unimaginable. I actually had, I I know of another NFL coach I talked to recently that said he thinks that's exactly what's going to happen. And he was praising Fangio in, in that context. I don't think he was making a comment on the Bears as much. But what happened, we'll see what's interesting, the, the pass rush thing, because you, you, you make a great point about the turnovers, and the Bears themselves are evidence of that, because they had a several years there where they couldn't get turnovers on defense. One thing, though, is when you play a lot of zone coverage and you add a dominant pass rusher, and in the Bears' case under Fangio, it was always blurry zone coverage because of the way they align their safeties and linebackers. You're never quite sure exactly what type of zone you're looking at, so it's a blurry zone coverage initially and the pass rush gets there a little quicker than you expect, and you're going to get a lot of quarterbacks rushing the throw or getting hit with the ball in their hands, and that's how you get turnovers. So the formula can still work because the personnel can drive the turnovers. But, you know, the more I think about it, though, you're going to lose some of the blurriness with the new scheme. And Chuck Pagano is a lot more blitz-oriented than Fangio. Fangio really does not blitz. He looks like he blitzes because he'll rush linebackers, but almost always it's a four-man rush still when he's doing that. So Pagano's going to want to bring extra pressure, at least if we're to go off of what he's done in previous coaching jobs. 
And when you blitz, you tend to play more matchup coverage or man coverages because you got to get on your guy quicker because the blitz makes the ball get out quicker. So I think, I mean, the more I'm talking it out here with you guys, I do think it's going to be a very different Bears-looking team this year. And the offense will have to be better than it was a year ago in order to offset what I think will be some natural regression on defense. That voice you hear making you smarter is Andy Benoit. That's great stuff, Andy. And I love listening to you break it down and talk it out for us because as you say it, I'm thinking about it, uh, something that you brought up uh, maybe a month or so ago, maybe a couple months ago. You tweeted out uh, some tape with Eddie Jackson and kind of just mentioned how sometimes the voters on teams like all pro teams, maybe the interceptions dazzle them, but they don't break down the film like you do. Uh, and you just, just talk a little bit about how you're not, I don't think you were calling Eddie Jackson a bad player by any means, but what you just discussed, what Vic Fangio enabled some of his players to do was excel. And Eddie Jackson perhaps was one of the biggest beneficiaries last year becoming an all pro. Talk to the Chicago listeners about what you saw from Eddie Jackson. Yeah, and I, I've talked with a number of coaches about Eddie Jackson. I think he's a fascinating player. I've talked with Bears coaches about him, and I've talked with opponents who had to, had to watch him and game plan against him. And with Eddie Jackson, and then I watched every one of his snaps this year, and I think all of the above is true with Eddie Jackson. And what all of the above is is the interceptions and the playmaking and the stuff that all pro voters saw and on national TV games, that's all real. He's a great player in that sense. He's a rangy safety, and he's got an instinct for the ball. What's also real is he missed a lot of tackles last season. I thought he, I don't want to say he played lazy at times. I don't, I don't think it's an effort issue, but I do think he's got some bad habits at times, and that shows up in some of his pursuit angles and tackles. And so he's an inconsistent player because he gave up a lot of big plays to the Miami game. I mean, he, he was the reason that game went the way it went largely. So it's, he's an extreme player. And we can then debate what does that mean for a safety. Ideally, he's young. So ideally, you're hoping he's going to become less extreme on the negative end and, and more stable. And we'll see if he does. But, uh, I think the jury overall is out on Eddie Jackson as far as is he a top-shelf superstar or is he merely a talented player, and those are two different things. And they're going to have to make a decision on signing him to a long-term deal here soon. My guess is they're leaning towards doing that because they let Adrian Amos get away. But that'll be if he plays like this again this upcoming season where he had some bad stuff on film, it'll be interesting to see what that does for his contract negotiating. How big of a mistake was it for the Giants to draft Daniel Jones at six? <laughs> well, I understand the logic behind it. And I, I'm of the belief that, look, if that's the guy you want, those, the Giants researched every QB in the draft infinitely more than any of us from the outside could imagine. Right, and certainly right, right. that more than any of us have done. So if Jones is your guy, and I, I, I get that, okay, that's fine. What I don't understand about, and I don't mind that they picked him at six, by the way. I don't, I don't think reach for a player is a really, uh, I don't think it means a whole lot. Ultimately, the draft, your idea is to get the players you want, and if that's who you want, you don't know if he's going to be there at seven. You don't know what the rest of the draft boards look like. Someone can always trade up and draft ahead of you at 17 if they really wanted Jones. So I, I don't mind them taking him at six. What gives me pause about the whole thing is a year ago they drafted a running back and passed on a bunch of QBs. And I thought, okay, that's fine. They, 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 feel, they feel they can still win right now. They like Eli Manning. They're comfortable there. They've got Beckham. They're signing a left tackle who's really expensive, and Nate Solder. All right, that makes sense. That's their plan. But here we are a year later, and they've since traded Beckham. 
They haven't done a ton to address their defense, which was the reason they were no good last year. And and now they're drafting the quarterback. And I wonder what changed from last year going to this year with Eli Manning because he didn't look a whole lot different on film versus what he's been before. So it seems like the plan changed in the past year, but there was no reason from the outside looking in that the plan should have changed. I can't remember ever saying this, but uh, these days the darling of the NFL seems to be the Cleveland Browns oh, with the addition of Odell Ugh. Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield's stunning rookie season. Enough. Uh, the addition of Kareem Hunt <laughs> after his suspension. Andy, what, uh, what do you think is in store for Cleveland fans with uh, all this offensive talent next year? Uh, I do think it will live up. I mean, I don't know if it can live up to this kind of hype that that has been plastered on them, but I do think it's a very talented offense with a lot of dimension, and Baker Mayfield is the real deal. He's a unique quarterback. So uh, I understand the excitement around the Browns, and you mentioned Kareem Hunt. Yeah, that's the thing is the Browns have a potentially dominant passing game and they're very deep and diverse in the back. Nick, Nick Chubb's their best running back by a significant margin, I think. And I would argue Duke Johnson's probably their second most valuable running back because of what he does for their passing game. So if he's still there with them, you're talking about a team that's got the NFL's leading rusher from, what, two years ago? As they're basically there, I think he'll be their number three running back. He might play a little more than that, but, you know, that's a deep backfield. And one thing that Freddie Kitchens there did when they, he was running the show on offense in 2018 is he put multiple backs on the field at once. And that really messes with the defense for a variety of reasons. For one, you don't know if you're supposed to play nickel or base against it. And every team in the league is very different in nickel than they are in base. So you can regulate the defense. And, and Kitchens actually put all three running backs on the field at a times last year. And that was very successful. So I think we'll see a high-volume offense in Cleveland. Again, he is Andy Benoit. And if you are a football fan, there are very few people who are a better follow on Twitter. He is at Andy underscore Benoit of Sports Illustrated. Check out his latest piece, uh, his chance to sit down with Sean McVay and break down Super Bowl 53 with him. Andy, we appreciate your time this evening. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Man, always uh, love listening to get to that guy break it down because uh, he just makes you a smarter football fan, Chris. Yeah, what do you think about that? Uh, if you had to pick one quarterback for the future, Jared Goff, Dak Prescott, Mitch Trubisky, he picked Jared Goff. I thought that was surprising. Hmm. Ah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that way. Interesting. I, I th- see. I would lean towards Goff, believe it or not. So I wasn't that surprised. But don't you think that the highest ceiling of the three is Trubisky? Hmm. I, you know, I, I I think all three of them right now are in situations that are catered to protect them. Completely agree. And I think Dak, uh, questionable at times, decision-making, and I, I'm not sure if I trust that he's the guy to lead them once the running game isn't the lead part of that team. Uh, I think clearly Jared Goff uh, has his flaws that we saw in the playoffs, and, and Sean McVay is doing everything he can to support him. And Trubisky, same with, with Nagy. But it seems like the physical skills, the physical tools might be in Trubisky's favor. I, you know, I think it's interesting because, look, Goff has plenty of flaws, and so does Trubisky. Trubisky's ability to run, though, is undeniable. So if he could put everything together, the ceiling might be highest for Trubisky. But as we heard Andy Benoit talk about, the arm talent that Goff brings is undeniable. I'm with you, though. 
the way he reads the defense, he, it seems like he's relying on Sean McVay to do a lot for him. And so will he be able to replicate that year after year? You point to a positive of Mitch Trubisky being able to run, but we know how it works. He can't do that forever. Uh, be, you know, To be a smart quarterback in the National Football League, you can't run. You, you got to find a way to get it done with your arm in the pocket and then being able to move around the pocket to get out of danger, but to not put yourself in harm's way downfield. And that's something where Trubisky now, it's an asset, but I think long-term we're kind of hoping that he figures everything else out so he doesn't have to run. I think if you're an honest Bears fan, you, as we heard, as we were just talking about with Andy, the fact that the Bears defense was as dominant as it was last year is going to be something that's very hard to repeat. Mm-hmm. They they could be very great, but all those turnovers that you mentioned, that doesn't happen year after year. In fact, it never happens. No. You don't repeat the same amount of turnovers that the Bears created last season. And so they're going to need Trubisky to play better than he did last year if they're going to be a true Super Bowl contender. There's another thing that Andy Benoit mentioned there. Uh, we're talking about the Browns a little bit, and uh, one of the key members of the Browns is making a bold proclamation, Chris. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that coming up next because uh, he is con- he's comparing the Browns to a team in the National Football League that I think is uh, nothing like the Cleveland Browns. Mm, interesting. He's Chris yeah. Black. I'm Jeff Meller filling in for Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Jeff Meller, Chris Black hanging out with you here on ESPN 1000 tonight inside the first Midwest Bank studio. As you heard there, the Raptors put the clamp down on the 76ers, just thumping them, Chris, by 36, taking a 3-2 series lead. Yeah, Kawhi and the uh, Raptors, they were fantastic tonight, and they did a lot of their damage in the second quarter. They outscored the 76ers 37-17 in the second quarter. So really from the start, they, they jumped on the Sixers in the first half. They didn't let up in the second half. And now they have the 3-2 lead in the series, and a lot of questions are going to come back to Philadelphia. They lose. In the next game, game six, whether or not any of these stars will sign back with the team. You're looking at Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler this offseason. They're both free agents. What do the 76ers do with Embiid and Simmons long term? Those guys, those young stars are going to need contracts coming up. So a lot of questions in this series, and the Raptors get back on the, the right track. Kawhi Leonard tonight, 21 points. Pascal Siakam, 25. So the Raptors, they looked really good tonight. And, and we will get to uh, that uh, star player on the Browns making a, an interesting comp in one second. I just want to uh, close this out, though, with uh, I look at the 76ers, and you mentioned what's going to happen with them. Yep. I just... Uh, I do wish in an alternate universe we could have seen, seen how their franchise plays out if Sam Hinkie is able to complete what he had started. Do you yeah, ever the you process? Ever, you, yeah, I mean, do you ever think... I mean, look, I understand he Sam Hinkie had his own issues by basically coming out blatantly and telling people, hey, we're tanking and we don't we unapologetically do not care. And so that probably hurt him more than anything else PR-wise. But I do wish in an alternate universe, we could have seen, seen how it plays out with him as their GM. Well, how much else would it play out? Uh, would they have continued to try and lose the last two years? Because like Elton Brand made a focus in bringing in proven players, Jimmy Butler and mm-hmm. Tobias Harris, surrounding the two young guys, Simmons and, B- and Embiid, uh, to allow them to get to this point. So like last year, they were really good without those two, Harris and Butler. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you just kind of stayed the course 
on what would have happened. I think uh, it was a necessary change. Oh, look, I wonder. Look, I go all the way back to. I wonder if they would have drafted Marco Foltz with uh, with Hinky still the GM. I, I don't know. It's impossible to right. say. I, I, again, alternate universe. I would have. It would have been interesting to see how it plays. It out. It is surprising that Hinky still doesn't have a job in the league. So uh, we'll see if maybe that changes this offseason. Um, also, in the next fifteen minutes, we will give away the VIP pack. So keep listening in the next fifteen minutes to Bellator two twenty one Saturday night at uh, Rosemont, the Allstate Arena. So it's Saturday, Chandler versus Pitbull, Bellator 221. If you're an MMA fan, you want to go see Bellator, keep listening. In the next 15 minutes, we will give you your cue to call to win the VIP pack. That's a meet and greet. It's tickets. It's a four-pack. It's awesome. So keep listening here on ESPN 1000. And before we went to break, you mentioned Odell Beckham making a bold proclamation to GQ. As he had a sit-down interview with them, and uh, I'll let you uh, go ahead and fill the folks in. Yeah, Monday night was the Met Gala, and uh, Odell Beckham Jr. was there, and he talked to GQ, and he said this to GQ. I plan on being with the Cleveland Browns for the next five years and trying to bring as many championships there as possible. I'm turning the Browns into the new Patriots. Like the New England Patriots. He was serious. Uh, He also, when talking about Baker Mayfield, his new quarterback, said this. I think he's next. I feel like he's now. He's Brett Favre. He's going to the Hall of Fame. So he thinks Baker Mayfield, after one season, is a Hall of Famer. And he thinks that the Patriots are going to be the Browns. The Browns are the new Patriots, all based on these uh, free agent acquisitions, the trades, Baker Mayfield, and basically us seeing nothing from Cleveland outside of some competitive football games last season. Yeah, I mean, look, everything looked like it was it's moving in the right direction. Uh, kudos to uh, the Browns for finishing 7-8-1 and one last year. That was nice. Uh, you know, still haven't sniffed 500 <laughs> in uh, quite, a, quite a while. Yeah, Baker Mayfield put up some nice stats. And, and yes, it all looks great on paper. And I would even venture to say that I do. I would pick the Browns to win the AFC North right now because I do think they have assembled enough talent. But the Patriots, I mean, hey, can we, uh, can we walk before we run here? I mean, that is a lofty uh, franchise that you're... Yeah, like, try to be the Ravens first. Maybe the Steelers in your division. How about the Bengals? The Bengals have won recently. They haven't been great, but try to be the Bengals. You want to get crazy, throw out the Eagles. They won a Super Bowl a year ago. Say, hey, let's be the Eagles. Let's go out and win a Super Bowl. Uh, Instead of mentioning the franchise with a a, a 19-year run of unprecedented success... Yeah, which no one will do again, right? Like what Brady and Belichick have done with the Patriots, that's something we'll never see again in sports. We saw it with Popovich and Duncan. We see it with Brady and Belichick. Outside of those four individuals, when will we ever see a player-coach combo where the coach and the player are equally as great for the time span that we saw for both of those combos, right? that's, That's the key. Look, you might be able to find a spot in the NBA because of the longevity of careers where it could happen, but perhaps, but the coach probably won't stick around for the entire time. Right. Yeah. I I think it's unlikely, but at least in the NBA, I I might be able to say, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll placate you. But in the NFL where nobody plays, has a career longer than, you know, a decade or so like Tom Brady paired with, like you said, the, 
you know, Bill Belichick, the greatest coach in NFL history, and you're you're just going to throw that out there loosely? And fine, go ahead. It's not like they're not in your conference and can be the team that eliminates you from the playoffs on their own. I mean, you think that won't be some bulletin board material if they get to that point as if they need any in New England? I would like to thank Odell Beckham Jr. because the one thing that the Browns are doing for us in Chicago is this. There was a chance that the Bears could have been the most hyped team of the offseason. There, there could have been the yeah. chance where they could be the darlings for next season. They could be the team that everyone talks about when the previews start coming out. Everyone's going to say, oh, the Bears are going to win the Super Bowl, right? Like, they could be that team, and they might be that team. But the problem is, when you're that team, usually it doesn't work out great for you when you win the offseason and everyone's talking about you. What usually happens? The Patriots end up in the Super Bowl. The team that you didn't really expect ends up in the Super Bowl. But this year, because the Browns have made so much noise, the Bears just right behind under, them. Under They're the radar under there. Under the radar. Just going ahead. I'd like to thank Odell Beckham Jr. for putting this out there, the bulletin board material, as Jeff called it, because you know it, there has been so much hype and so much conversation about the Browns. They can only disappoint this year. Nah, right? Look, like If they're 500, that's a disappointment. If they are two games above 500, but they don't win their division, disappointment. If they make the playoffs and then play poorly in their first playoff game, hosting a home playoff game, something like that, disappointment. The only way the Browns don't disappoint this year is if they get to the AFC Championship game. And That's even, probably it. But even then, if they get to the AFC Championship game and then well, they... Well, if, if Patty Mahomes throws seven touchdowns on them, can you blame him? Well, what if they're playing the Patriots and Odell Beckham's the reason, uh, you know, his uh, because he inserted foot in mouth and the Patriots yeah, go and ahead Brady and... throws seven touchdowns on him? Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, you could already... Uh, it's, it's, it's just unnecessary, right? Well, it's, it's also considered the source, right? Uh, is anyone really uh, no. taking too much value in anything Odell Beckham Jr. says? I take value in what he does on the football field, uh, specifically between the lines, because I, I think people even get annoyed with some of the stuff he does on the sidelines, the pregame routines, the hair, all this other stuff that goes into the total package of Od- Odell Beckham Jr. I just watch him, and I think... That guy's one of the best wide receivers I've ever seen play football, and I want to watch more of him playing football. I I cannot take my eyes off of him when he's on the field. You're right, but it's just so unnecessary, and it feels like, yeah, it's great. You're, you know, if not one of the top three wide receivers in football, if not the best, and yet still the supreme confidence that you have borders on arrogance, and when you have yet to win a playoff game, you know, again, let's 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 walk. He's before yet we run. to play a game with the team. Oh yeah, with the Browns, right? I'm, like yeah. he's yet to play with the Browns. He's yet to be on the line of scrimmage with Baker Mayfield, the guy that he just called the Hall of Famer. Yeah. Compared him with uh, Brett Favre, one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL history. But I like I like Odell Beckham. Jr. I do too. I don't care for what he's saying, but I like watching him. I just think it's un, it's just it's weird because I put myself in his in, in his position if I could anyway, and I would say. Everybody watches how good I am. Why don't I just, you know, when we get, when we actually achieve something, maybe I'll spot off a little more then. But like you said, they've made all the moves that have captured the headlines and he's 
bringing even more pressure. Am I wrong? Like usually that team, the team that wins the offseason in the NFL, that's not usually the team that ends up winning at all. It's hard enough to win games in the NFL. We talk about how it's a, you know, the margin for error is so small, a turnover here, a turnover there. It's a one-score game that you lose so many times in the NFL. And so the extra pressure of having a team amped up to play you and they're going to have that, like you said, Chris. Look, yeah. they have three of their first five games are in prime time. <laughs> three of their first five. We're all going to get... This is going to be a disaster for the Browns. We're going to get an eyeful of the uh, Cleveland Browns on our TVs because they've got uh, week two on Monday Night Football. They've wow. got week three on Sunday Night Football. And then week five on Monday Night Football again. Get ready for a whole lot of Cleveland Browns football early on, folks. So before their bye week in week seven, we may know whether or not this is a disaster or (laughs) if they're good, if they're the darlings, they're going to be the super hype team, right? If they roll the Rams on Sunday night football in week three, then we're going to say, well, here we go. The the Browns are for real, right? Like that's what the morning shows will lead on Monday morning. The Browns are for real. Is this the year they win the Super Bowl? That's going to be week three in the NFL. I guarantee you. Future headlines, that's going to be it. Get ready for it. Uh, another uh, person who's going to be grabbing the headlines, mm-hmm. Zion Williamson. Uh, we're all waiting for what he is going to turn into. Charles Barkley had a thought with Waddle and Sylvie that I want to share with you coming be- up next. Beautiful. We'll hear from that. And also, keep listening. We'll let you know when to call for the Bellator VIP pack for 221. Keep listening. Very important person coming up on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Jeff Meller and Chris Black filling in for Jonathan Hood this evening. White Sox shut out the Cleveland Indians 2-0 behind a sterling performance by Lucas Giolito, but that's not what you teased, Chris. Bounce back series for the Sox, Jeff. How about that? You lose to the Red Sox, you bounce back. Stay interesting. Can you just stay interesting till we get to the All-Star break? Nice to see some major league ask. pitching for once. Yeah, that's all I ask for the White Sox this season. Okay, guys, this is it. 312-332-3776. Caller number 21, do you want a VIP ticket package for four, including tickets and a meet and greet to Bellator 221? Chandler versus Pitbull at the All-State Arena in Rosemont on Saturday, May 11th. Call now at 312-332-3776. Caller number 21 in honor of Bellator 221. Uh, The winner will get the VIP ticket package for four if you're caller number 21. Pretty sweet this Saturday. Check it out, Bellator 221. All right. Earlier today, Charles Barkley Joined Waddle and Sylvie as he does on occasion. And Zion Williamson, Chris, he is the savior that the Bulls are hoping to land. Well, Charles Barkley is hmm. maybe not so sold on Zion being the savior. I think it's going to be difficult for him because I don't know what position he's going to play. I think he's a, a very explosive, very talented but I think the way that I think he would have been a much better player in my day, like I like I, I'm smart enough to know it'll be harder for me to play in the NBA today, chasing them threes and fours around out on the four point uh, out on the three point line. So I think what's going to be interesting. I don't know what position he's going to play, but I do know this: he's going to have some tough matchups every night, chasing those little three guys around or trying to play against those four guys who are going to be bigger than him. Because I think they say he's 6'7", 
uh, that's an interesting height to play in the NBA, and especially today with the way all they got all these little guys out there just shooting threes. Uh, so uh, I think it's going to be very interesting what position he plays, how good his team is, uh, and things like that. Interesting. Chuck, not so sold on uh, Zion's defensive prowess. It makes sense, right? Like, it, well, in I think especially offensively, if you look at how he's going to fit in with an offense, defensively, I kind of think that it just makes perfect sense. I, I get what Chuck yeah. was saying. A lot of small guys run around the perimeter, but then you look at someone like Draymond Green, and he's sure. such a difference maker on the defensive side. And his ability to guard yeah. one through four, one through five, he can do it all. And you saw last night, Draymond's switching on to everybody. And he, he's switching on to Harden. He's switching on to Chris Paul. I think Zion will be able to do that. Now, offensively, if he can't shoot and all he's doing and all he can contribute on offense is offensive rebounding and dribble penetration to the lane to try and open up things for other players... Then I could see a situation at some point where we're like, okay, Zion needs to develop a jump shot to be an elite player. But we're also kind of saying that about Giannis. And Giannis is good enough athletically to just kind of do it without I was just going to say, athletically, that's not in question. That's the one thing that's not in question with Zion. The vertical ability is there. Right. And and so Giannis is 24. Imagine Zion Williamson when he's 24. He's 18 right now. So give him six years. Don't you think he's going to be a much more polished player than what Giannis is right now? I would think so. And the interesting thing is if you're an NBA GM and you actually land the number one overall pick, even if you want to, I don't think you could take John Morant if you believe he'd be the better pro because I don't think ownership of whatever team lands the number one pick will allow a general manager to pass on the box office bonanza that Zion Williamson is no doubt going to be. Nick Picor from Aurora wins the VIP pack for Bellator. The package includes tickets and a meet and greet to Bellator 221. Chandler versus Pitbull at the All-State Arena in Rosemont on Saturday, May 11th. Get your tickets now at bellator.com and at the All-State Arena box office. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Felix Reyes and Sean Davis. He's Chris Black. I'm Jeff Meller. Hope you enjoyed Underhood this evening on ESPN 1000. Jonathan Hood. I'm so hood. On ESPN 1000.